everybody, and welcome to Prayer and Praise, the podcast with National United Methodist Church, where we seek to make the love of God obvious. I am Reverend Dr. Rachel B. Livingston, but most people just call me Pastor Rachel. And here at Prayer and Praise, we share our stories so that you can see God at work in our faith journey. So you know that you are not alone, so that you know that God is with you because some of these stories are similar to what you are going through in your own lives. It is true that your story can be a lived out prayer and your witness can be a praise to God. Sometimes just living out our faith is us talking to God. This week, we talked to Thomas Larea about prayer. He admittedly said that he wasn't a great prayer. I would probably argue with him on that, but that's what he said in terms of him being an efficient prayer or wanting to make sure that he efficiently gets things done. So he may not tarry for a long time in prayer, but that's still prayer. During my time serving churches, I have often found that many people feel uncomfortable praying, at least praying out loud in communal prayer. But I like to tell people that there is no specific one way to pray. Prayer itself is just a conversation with God. It's a way that we grow in our faith. And just like when we talk to our friends, our relationship can't grow unless we have conversations with people, unless we take time to get to know them. And that's the same thing with God. We have to take time to spend talking to God so that we can get to know God on a more personal level and so that God can get to know us on a more personal level, even though we've been created by God and God knows us far deeper than we even know ourselves. And I wanna say that I specifically deeply connected with Thomas's meditation, especially with his explanation of his grandmother as a prayer warrior. I heard him say that she prayed for her children and grandchildren and that she knew she could give them the foundation of faith. If she couldn't give anything else, she could give her prayers, she could give her faith as an inheritance to her 10 fingers, which was a metaphor for her 10 children. That specifically resonated with me because I too come from a long line of prayers or people who have been praying for me. Prayers that showed me my faith. Prayers for my grandmother, prayers for my great-grandmother, prayers for my great-grandfather. And it resonated deeply with me because I have come together with my family for over 20 years to meet monthly in prayer. And we pray for each other and we share our concerns with the family and we just spend time with each other and spend time with God because a family that prays together stays together. And this all came out of the tradition that my grandmother's father brought to his children as he sat his children down for prayer on Sundays and on his deathbed taught them that they should take the name of Jesus with them wherever they go so that they might have the foundation of their faith so that they might be able to go out into the world and have strong faith or trust in the fact that God is with them. So prayer is our foundation and it's what we pull on. It's how we keep going. But without further ado, let's get into it. And we'll start with scripture and then we'll hear from Thomas Larea. Amen. Hear now the word of God. I'll be reading from the New International Version. 
Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God for his word. Good evening, everyone. So as you've heard, our theme for this month is prayer. I have to admit that prayer is a practice which, with which I have struggled. I often tell people that prayer is not my spiritual gift. But I have been blessed to have been surrounded by people for whom prayer is their gift. Today, I have three prayer stories to share with you. Three out of many stories involving people who have touched me through their gift of prayer. Each story illustrates the power of prayer expressed in our scripture reading from the book of Philippians. The first story relates to my maternal grandmother. She was the only one of my grandparents who I knew, and I knew her to be a mighty prayer warrior. In a minute, I'm going to ask Rita to show you a picture of my grandmother. Like all material things, the picture is showing signs of age, you'll see. The picture is unusual because my grandmother is sitting down with her legs crossed. I never remember her sitting with her legs crossed. In fact, I hardly recall her sitting down at all. She was always busy working on her feet or sitting hunched over a fire in the twice daily chore of making a corn dough staple food called kenke, which she would sell in order to feed the family. Alongside her many family social obligations, my grandmother spent a lot of time at church. Although her own mother was a staunch Methodist, my grandmother attended the Pentecostal church. In fact, the song we just played today was one of her favorite praise songs at church. And the words of that song expressed her faith. Oh God's son, I will give you praise always for all that you have done for me, come and receive your praise. She always carried a small notepad and pencil with her to church, although she didn't know how to read or write, but she was diligent about asking the person who was sitting next to her, which was likely one of her grandchildren, most often my cousin Nashome, to write down the scripture verses mentioned in the service. And when she got home, she would ask someone to read the chosen scripture to her from her Gan language Bible that she kept at home. So Rita, please show us the picture. Ah, okay, I hope you can all see it. Um, it's a little bit small on my screen. Um, so I want you to look behind my grandmother at the house behind her. That was the house in which she lived. Um, there are actually two houses in that picture. The one that my grandmother lived in is the house on the left side of the picture where you see some washing on a clothesline. Behind that house to the right, of the picture was another house in which some other relatives lived. My grandmother didn't own that particular house. By the time of this picture, um, she lived there with some family members, but the house was built by her sister. Um, we, we think uh, the land was um, land bought by their father and her sister bought the land in order to 
have uh, some um, presence physically on, on that land. That house you see on the left-hand side of the picture was made from zinc sheets. Even by the standards of those days, it was a simple temporary structure. There was no running water or other sanitation, certainly no electricity. In fact, there was very little in and around the house other than a lot of mosquitoes that my grandmother used to try to keep away by burning dried rinds of oranges. The house was built in an area that we call a Ngan in the Gan language. In the Bible, where you see the word that is translated into English as wilderness, that word is translated in the Gan language as Ngan. So my grandmother and many family members lived in what was to them a wilderness. It was an area in which people were not expected to live, but they lived there anyway, in that small shack made from zinc sheets. Keep that picture of my grandmother in the house in your mind's eye as, as Rita removes the, the picture. My grandmother's greatest worry was where would she leave her 10 fingers? She was being metaphoric. She had given birth to 10 children. And even though she had already some had already predeceased her, she still counted them in her lament of where was she going to leave her 10 fingers. She knew that she lived in a shack in the wilderness and she was concerned about where her children and her children's children and her other family members would live when she had gone from this earth. So she would say, I have nothing material to leave, but I know how to pray. And pray, she did. She prayed my siblings and myself from that very shack in the wilderness. And that's where we moved from on our way to London to, to live with our, our parents. And she prayed countless relatives to different parts of the world, to England, Australia, Canada, the US, other parts of Africa, and to other parts of Ghana, all from that shack in the wilderness. She even prayed herself to London twice. She was like a Harriet Tubman, but she didn't physically transport people over rough terrains and streams. She transported people through the power of prayer. My cousin Nashome, who you have met, has also inherited that power of prayer. Wherever we are on our way somewhere, she is always praying or preaching a sermon, even if I'm only half listening. Often she will remind me of the legacy that our grandmother left for us in the form of a warehouse. But Nashome is not talking about a physical warehouse. If it were a physical warehouse, it would have likely already crumbled, just like that shack in the wilderness collapsed many years ago. No, our grandmother left us with a spiritual warehouse and it is packed full of prayer. If it had been, if it had been full of tins of baked beans, they would have expired already. But our grandmother's prayers have no expiration date and we've been drawing on them each and every day and their power will never run down. Whenever Nashomay reminds me of this, we laugh. There is something deeply comforting and grounding to know that you are standing on the legacy of prayer. Sometimes, however, the ups and downs of life can knock you off your feet and you can feel like you're slipping from the assurance of your spiritual foundation. 
And this takes me to my second prayer story. The story involves another prayer warrior. She had actually been a client of mine. We, we met at a conference on investing in Africa in the offices of the law firm where I used to work. He had attended that conference by spiritual coincidence. On the eve of the conference, she had flown in from Geneva to find a US law firm to help her boss on a matter in West Africa. She had already decided on the law firm to choose, but she later told me that when she heard me speak at the conference, she was moved by what I said, and that changed her mind. To cut a long story short, we became friends, and then we became family. Some years ago now, I was on the phone telling Mama T, as I call her, about a problem I was experiencing. And I was explaining how worried I was for my children. And when I paused, Mama T asked me what I was doing about the problem. I responded, I'm doing nothing, only praying. And then I heard her take a deep breath and she demanded, how can you as a child of God say such a thing? I was taken by surprise. And then in the split second in which she took another breath, I was getting ready to defend myself. I knew that she was a great proponent of the book of James. And so I thought that she was going to follow up with a retort about faith without works being dead. But no, she went in a different spiritual direction. He rather said, praying is doing something. Praying is doing something. At hearing this, I was both strangely comforted and convicted at the same time. I realized that by praying, I was doing something. And I was reminded that all the time my grandmother was praying, she was doing something. But I was also forced to ask myself that by equating prayer with doing nothing, what did that say at that time about my expectation of my prayers? And what was that saying about my expectation of God? That was the reality of my experience at that particular time. And I felt myself lifted by the reminder that prayer was doing something. Indeed, there are times when prayer is the most that we can do. My third story is about such a time. Now, you're all probably saying this guy has too many problems already. But the testimony is not about the problems, but rather about how they have been overcome. So please bear with me in the telling of this final incident. Some of you would recall that we used to have a time of commitment in the Sunday services at the Wesley campus. Well, the content of church services evolved, and this is not a lament about the change. I'm just setting the scene. During the time of commitment, attendees in the service were invited to come to the front of the sanctuary for prayer by the rails. I was a regular in responding to that call. On one particular Sunday, Pastor Kate was offering to pray with the attendees. And after I explained the problem that I was asking her to pray about, an issue that she well knew, she took a deep breath and she prayed a prayer that I will never forget. When I say I will never forget that prayer, I have in fact forgotten most of the words, but I will remember the intent of the prayer and the first five words that framed that intent. The first five words were, God in his infinite wisdom. Now, if she'd been praying that prayer today, she may have avoided the male pronoun. But on that day, the prayer came out as 
God in his infinite wisdom. And then some other words followed. Those five words were the words that I needed to hear because they invited me to give up my problem to the God who works across an eternity and who works with infinite insight and infinite resources. That was the prayer I needed to hear that day and each and every day. The best thing that I could do was to seek the heart of God through prayer and to make room for God to do what I could not do. That is what my grandmother had done when she prayed about where she will leave her 10 fingers. And that is essentially what Mama T was telling me when she reminded me that prayer was doing something. Before I close, I want to admit that these days, I have been complaining that my daughters have been telling me what, that, that I'm not working hard enough. I can see that they're actually on, on the Zoom call for once. <laughs> they tell me that, especially when I'm signing on to church Zoom services. In some sense, they may be telling me that church stuff and even a prayer and praise service is unproductive and I need to focus on my professional work. I'm very suspicious about their motives for telling me this. Sometimes I want to defend myself by replying that I am doing something by praying that they get good jobs so that I don't have to work so hard in the future. Other times I feel it will be more constructive to remind them that my grandmother, their grandmother, has already done a lot of the work for us. He has left us with a warehouse of prayer that is producing results throughout eternity. So they need not worry so much about the things that they are worrying about. They have a legacy of a spiritual trust fund, a foundation that is bearing interest each and every day. And if they don't buy that story, well, they're welcome to go out and get summer jobs. But there is one final insight I need to share with my daughters and each of you about my grandmother's spiritual warehouse. Although there is no door to that warehouse, there is most certainly a key. However, possession of that key is not limited to our family members. That key is faith. And that is a key I know I have a lot of. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to share with you my faith today. I offer you that key to as many of my grandmother's prayers as you may ever need. Welcome everyone to Prayer and Praise, the podcast. We have the opportunity of listening to one of our members, Thomas Lorea, as he shares his story on prayer and his prayer warriors in his life. So Thomas, why don't you share a little bit about yourself? I know when I first came to the church, people kept telling me that you were a very fascinating person. So I don't know. <laughs> I believe it, but you can share with us whatever you are willing to share with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Pastor Rachel. I'm not sure what they meant by fascinating, but I'm, I'm going to try not to be offended. <laughs> but anyway, I, I suppose I am unusual in the church. I was born in Ghana, which you would have heard in my meditation, but you could probably tell from my accent that I grew up in England and I've lived in the U.S. for more 29 years now. So all those three cultural and geographic connections have sort of influenced me being somewhat different, if you like. And I'm very interested in how culture affects um, the way people think and the way people relate to God. I would be interested in hearing how you feel that culture 
It really affects how people see God because I think we often have different perspectives on who God is. And there are some people that think God is one way, but I think even the way we see the world affects the way we see God and how we see God and where we feel like God shows up. Yeah. But yeah. So let me give you one example, which is an example in the meditation. So my, my grandmother, as you can tell, was a big influence on my spiritual life. And you know, she was someone who grew up in Ghana with no education. She didn't go to school for a day, but she was extremely intelligent and extremely spiritual. Um, but her spirituality reflected a very different cultural reference because you know, she was conscious of the, the presence of um, her ancestors in the world. Mm-hmm. And even in the story I spoke about where she was worried about where she would leave her 10 fingers, which was the metaphor for her 10 children, four or five of them had already predeceased her, by, but she still counted their presence. Mm-hmm. Um, she still felt their, their, their presence in, in the world and was still worried about where she would leave them in, in the afterlife, if you like. So, you know, they, those sorts of references made it clear to me that the way people thought about the world is very relative and it also affects how one also thinks about God. And, and the, you don't have to necessarily cohere them all because our God is big enough for all those different types of cultural expressions. It's yeah. just interesting to see the differences without mm. any judgment. So you talked about in your meditation that prayer is a little bit of a struggle for you, which is one reason why you you presented these three different prayer warriors. But why do you think that prayer is a struggle for you specifically? I'm not sure. I tell people I'm a very efficient prayer because I don't pray very, very long. No, you should pray longer. Uh, I said, no, no, I, I've been praying very efficiently. But but I think there is a, an underlying question there. And I, when I mentioned in the meditation that one of my awakenings was understanding prayer was doing something, I think that, that sort of taught me a sort of a bigger life lesson. So I've always seen myself as a, a doer, looking mm-hmm. to do things, to fix situations. And sometimes prayer requires you to sort of step back and to let God do what God can do and you can't and, and so that that it was a big lesson for me and still something that i try to work on but yeah rather than you know, getting up and trying to fix problems I, I i recognize sometimes that the effort and the work through prayer is an important part of, of that as well mm-hmm. so you talked a little bit about your maternal grandmother and how she was a mighty prayer warrior so tell us a little bit about that prayer warrior in your life because i'm sure that Although you talked about three different people, that one probably is very extremely influential in your life, maybe even foundational in your life. So tell us a little bit about your grandmother, whatever you're willing to share. Sure. So I I started with my grandmother because of the chronology, because (laughs) she was the first prayer warrior in my life. But as you sort of indicated, she was more than just the chronological person. And she she had a big influence in my um, spiritual upbringing and myself and my three siblings lived with my grandmother uh, mm-hmm. when my parents had already moved to England. And, and we lived in that house that I described. Uh, but she actually came to visit us twice in London. Mm-hmm. And so my grandmother taught me a whole bunch of different things. I mean, she was the one who taught me how to relearn the, the Gan language, because when she came to England, we were at that time all speaking English. And my grandmother insisted that she speak to us in our mother tongue. 
Um, and so I had to relearn Gang in order to communicate with, with my grandmother. But she also communicated many different things, which are not just about language, but sort of through language, right? By reconnecting with that mother tongue, I learned a lot about Ghana as well. well. One of the striking things about my grandmother is that she had 10 children that she delivered each of them herself. And oh, wow. one, one of the, yeah, one of the questions we had was, yeah, how did she cut the um, umbilical cord? And she used the twine from her hair. Those oh my days, goodness. It was very common, yeah, for African women to plait their hair with twine. And that was all she had. She used the twine from her hair to cut the um, umbilical cord. And it sort of taught me something very powerful about that, this person, the level of resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and the, the extraordinary human capacity to deliver your own child, to take care of your child, and to see some of them predecease you because medical care wasn't strong and still to survive the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, she was an, an extraordinary person. It's fascinating to me to hear that because what you're describing is her making sure you hold on to a certain root or ancestry holding on to the God that she knows, and then also holding on to this historical root of where you come from. Because I think sometimes it's easy for us to be swayed, especially people of color, to kind of be swayed and wrapped up in this European society. But at at times, it's also important to remember, like, where we come from. And so that... um, Absolutely. And my grandmother was... um, The experience of talking to her was like, talking to someone a thousand years old because she hadn't been to a western school she didn't speak english she, mm-hmm. she didn't have any of those cultural references so it was literally like talking to someone a thousand years old it's an extraordinary privilege because her, her whole world thinking was very different mm-hmm. um, so you know over the years i really come to appreciate that. Mm-hmm. so you used i mean i've used the term prayer warrior before but you use the term prayer warrior what does prayer warrior mean to you? Uh, That's a good question. Well, I'm not sure I know how to define it, but each of the three people who I mentioned in the meditation were prayer warriors to me in that they came to me at a time where I needed their intervention through prayer. And so in my experience, they were prayer warriors. I I can't tell you that they didn't have their own questioning, but at the time that I experienced them, they were very much grounded in the power of prayer. and, And I saw their capacity to challenge change through that prayer. So going back to your grandmother and you talked a lot about the the warehouse of prayers that she built for you yeah. and how she prayed for you and her children and her grandchildren and even for future generations that your children can even pull from. What has that meant in your life? What ways have you seen it come to fruition in your life? How have you seen like the movement of your grandmother's prayers move in your life? So I'm, I'm already smiling just by you referring to that because it, for me it's heartwarming to stand in that knowledge of the, the amount of prayer that my grandmother was engaging and to see that her prayers are, are still bearing fruit. I think at one time in the meditation I spoke about how her prayers were, were like a foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in our church we often talk about the foundation and when we do that we're talking about money in the bank account mm-hmm. and something material 
but my grandmother taught me that the real foundation was spiritual and that and i think that's really important learning for us as individuals in our christian journey but also it's important for the church to to, to understand that it's not the material things that the church has that that's not the foundation that you know, future church members and, and society and communities can stand on it's, it's the spiritual foundation mm-hmm. and what it also taught me is another lesson which i constantly try to refer to is that i've seen that god will move very strongly in people who don't have physical and material resources mm-hmm. and i've often wondered that so if we understand that the absence of material resources puts one at a disadvantage in life I, then god certainly understands that as well and, and what i've seen is that god will often provide people in those situations with an extra dose of spiritual gifts to see them through and i certainly saw that in, in my grandmother who was someone who had nothing materially but god had given her an extra dose of spiritual gifts through prayer mm-hmm. and so that again is is some learning that i sort of try to hold on to in, in life so when you also talked about your grandmother and even her prayers and how she talked a little bit about what she could leave her 10 fingers, which was her 10 children. And it's kind of this understanding of generational inheritance and what we can give to the next generation. And that's a a big thing that we as African-Americans or people of African descent kind of need to think about for our next generation. But what she said that she could give you was prayer and um, that she could leave you with prayer. What does that mean for you? And maybe even what you carry on to your next generation well that that's a very powerful learning for me i mean scripture tells us that the material things are temporary but the spiritual is eternal so if you want to leave your loved ones with something that will last forever you need to leave them something spiritual and so that's something i don't know i've achieved yet but it's something i strive for we get caught up in thinking about the material and people even say you know we, we need to do this in church because so we can leave it for the future generations and i often ask myself what's that it is, is the it the building is the it um the pew or is it spiritual revelation because the spiritual revelations is is something which will stand in good stead forever and and it won't run out it won't expire so you know those are sort of foundational points in my faith Mm -hmm. so what does it mean to stand on this legacy of prayer or this legacy of prayer that you've been given by your grandmother but also a legacy of prayer for others maybe your daughters or maybe even people who need more prayer in their lives yeah, so one of the reasons why I sort of did the meditation in that way was I wanted to invite my daughters to the meditation and they came yeah, because we've been discussing sort of um, legacy. I don't know why kids are so interested in legacy at this age, <laughs> but they're, they're interested in legacy and I want them to try to experience legacy in a spiritual way rather than a, a purely material way. But I, I think that's also part of what the church can offer each and every one of us is, is a sense of grounding in our spirituality and helping to grow that grounding and passing it on to future generations. That, that's why people say, quite rightly, the church is eternal. It, it's because of that spiritual connection. Mm-hmm. So what do you think your grandmother might say today if she saw the fruits of her prayers or the prayers that she lifted up for her 10 fingers who then had more children. I think she will be extraordinarily 
boastful in what God has done. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's the importance. You know, not, not boastful in what she had done, but boastful in the power of God. And you know, she always attributed successes to God. And so, you know, the example I gave in the meditation was all the people who came through that shack, came through that shack and were able to move on from that shack in many different places or through my grandmother's prayer, but my grandma's prayer was, was channeling God's intervention. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it, it wasn't her doing, it was God's doing. So I, I'm, I'm sure she'll be extremely proud of her God. I'm sure about that. You in general, you do some fascinating things. There's that word again, fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't mean it as, as a negative thing at all. Sometimes when I hear about the the international work that you do, Thomas, I'm kind of like, he did what? <laughs> and just the connections that you have, you know, around the globe, pretty pretty cool to me. I don't know if they're cool to anybody else, but they're cool to me. Okay. Um, and I, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know if your grandmother ever envisioned some of the connections that you make internationally the way that you do. Well, I mean, you're you know, very, when, and you're very humble about it, I, I think. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I do know when I was going to law school that my grandmother used to tell other family members that they needed to pray because we didn't have any lawyers in the family. And I was going to become the first lawyer. So everything I've done in my experience, I recognize the people who have helped me spiritually along that journey. So... The second story that you told about a prayer warrior, you had a client who you were talking about some concerns you had for your children and they asked you, well, like, what are you doing about it? And your response was, I'm not doing anything. I'm just praying. And just her response to you, one, what did that feel like in the moment for her to kind of challenge you and challenge your faith? So so the, the gap between her saying, you know, how could I say such a thing? And her explaining, I, I remember vividly, I was trying to find a way to defend myself, <laughs> to explain what I had said. And, and then her follow-on took me in a total different direction, but it was the direction that I needed to experience. Um, again, because I'd grown up being a doer and I equated the quiet time of playing as not doing. And um, you know, she, she was sort of giving me comfort and also challenging me at the same time and then on further reflection I also started to realize that by my my own view of equating prayer with nothing that that also limited my connection with God and limited the space that I could give to God to do what God could do and and I couldn't so it was a it was a very important moment for me Mm-hmm. I, I think when you, because when you shared that story, that reminded me of a time where I think it was when I was working at a church. Um, I think it was when I was working at Towson United Methodist Church, but we had to read a book. The pastor wanted us to read a book about prayer and what our expectations were for prayer. And then I think in the book, it said that this woman went around the church and was just like praying and anointing things. And I think when she went to work with some of the people in the church, they were, I guess, hesitant and kind of like, well, why are we doing this? And her response was like, well, when we pray, you want people to, you want this shift, you want this change. But when we pray, you've got to expect that God's going to do something. 
Yeah. Right. Um, and I think oftentimes we kind of just throw things out in the sky, like, okay, Lord, you take it, but we don't have this expectation that God's going to do something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes and, that something is a change in, in us. Yeah. Change in our perspective, but, but that, yeah. that's, that's still something. And, and often that, that's the most important something we need. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and I don't know why that blew my mind when she said that. Yep, absolutely. So you talked about Pastor Kate saying in a prayer, God in his infinite wisdom and how much it changed your life. What do you think she meant by that? Yeah. You know, so Pastor Kate knew the context of what I was struggling with. Um, and, you know, it had been a struggle. We, we, we hadn't found a solution in, in sort of a, in human terms. Um, and the things had got to a, a stage and, you know, I, I didn't quite know what to do next. And she didn't know quite what to do next. That's what I think. And, and she prayed that prayer. Um, and it was a prayer of, it, it, it wasn't a prayer of resignation because resignation assumes that you're sort of <laughs> stepping back. But it was, a, it was a prayer that I found empowering because, you know, to recognize that you know, no matter how, if I couldn't find this, the answer, God had an answer, and 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 God was working um, in God's time, in God's infinite wisdom um, across the space of eternity. Um, often we we we're very agitated by the fact we can't find a solution today, but God is not just thinking about today; God is thinking about the whole time frame of eternity, um, and and so you know it's it was important learning for me um, at that time and I try to remind myself whenever I feel agitated by needing to, to fix something that you know there's some things that I, I just need to give to God. So what does it mean to give it to God? I mean what can we say to those people who are struggling to even pray? Uh, I, I would like to em empower them, empower them in, in knowing that if all you can do is pray, then then you're doing something really important. Um, I, I would also empower them by seeking out others. Um, so a part of my story is to talk about other prayer warriors. I could have spoken about a dozen, and I and I, I think I mentioned I've been fortunate in 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 having people around me who could intercede for me, who could guide me through prayer. Um, so I think that that's also a, a very important part of this um, journey is, is to find community um, and, and recognize that if you feel you don't have a particular gift as strongly as, as you would like, there are others in the community who do and who can support you through sharing their gifts. We want to thank Thomas Larea for joining us and sharing his story. I'm so thankful for all the people who share their stories on Prayer and Praise because it allows us to see what it means to do this faith journey, to do this thing called life as people of faith, as people of God, as people trusting in Jesus Christ. And I thank him for sharing his story on faith, his story on prayer, and sharing with us these women prayer warriors that he has encountered in his life. Thomas himself is a fascinating individual. And I know we joked about using the word fascinating in terms of describing him and whether or not he should take offense. 
but to me, it's not an offensive word. I really am impressed with Thomas. I'm impressed with his humility. I'm impressed with some of the amazing international work that he does. I'm impressed with him as a lawyer. I'm impressed uh, that quite honestly, things don't always run if Thomas is not around the church. Um, he, he's not the only one, but um, he's definitely one of the powerhouses of our church. And I am so thankful for his presence in our church. And I'm thankful for his humility. Thank you, Thomas, for sharing your witness and some of the prayer warriors in your life. We have to remember as people of faith that when we are praying, it is actually doing work. We have to have the expectation that God is doing something. And it may not be what we expect or what we want, but God is up to something and God is making moves even if it's just a transformation of ourselves and who we are as people. But God is doing something. God is up to something. And our prayers give our burdens to God, help us have conversation with God, help us to understand God. And for those who might feel as if it's hard to pray, there are some things in life that we will have to give to God. And when we pray, it's not a passive response. It's an active response because we have to speak to God, but we also have to practice listening. And listening helps us see what we do next. I pray that you are renewed from Thomas's story and his witness because our lived out experience can be both our prayer and our praise to God. So if you wanna catch us on any of our platforms, you can catch us at www.nationalchurch.org where you can find our 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Sunday services. Those are live, so you can tune in those. Uh, usually our 9 a.m. is at our Metropolitan Campus on Nebraska Avenue, and our 11 a.m. stream service is at our Wesley location, which is on Connecticut Avenue. You can check us out on Facebook at National United Methodist Church. You can check us out at TikTok at National Church DC and Instagram at National UMC DC. You can always, always join us for prayer and praise on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. at www.nationalchurch.org slash prayer and praise. If you click on that link, it will uh, get you to a button that will send you to a Zoom link that will have you join us for prayer and praise. And it is a time every single week where you can encounter some of these meditations before they become a podcast. But as we close, remember that we seek to make the love of God obvious. So we pray that you feel the love of Jesus Christ in everything that we do. So let your story be a lived out prayer and let your witness be a praise to God. And so I'm gonna close out the way we always close out and let our meditator close us out. I'm gonna let Thomas close us in a benediction. Peace and blessings, y'all. So my friends, where would you leave your 10 fingers? Whatever your 10 fingers mean to you. I pray that you leave those 10 fingers in the mighty hands of God and that you will have faith 
that God's hands will hold them for us all and still have room for more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.